Welcome to the Bodies by Brent podcast. I am your host, Brent Ruska. I've been a personal trainer for almost two decades now, and quickly on in my career, I realized fitness, health, and well-being is so much more than just working out and nutrition. I realized fitness, well-being is a lifelong journey. It is a journey of self-discovery. It is a mental, emotional, and spiritual path And there's a lot of uncovering for each individual that's very unique. And this podcast is designed to expose you to as many tools to help you access parts of yourself to heal, to grow, to change, and find what works best for you. There are some key principles that work for everybody, such as resistance training and such, that I find over time always will stand true. So on today's episode, Dr. Nicole is the guest. Dr. Nicole has an amazing Instagram, you got to check it out. She does so good at making her reels. They're so funny, so good. Dr. Nicole is a doctor in Chinese medicine and a fourth-generation farmer based in Austin, where she grows herbs and runs healing workshops. Clients come to her for gut health imbalances, hormonal problems, and mental health issues such as anxiety and depression, and she prescribes treatments that align traditional Chinese medicine and prescription medication. In this episode, you're going to learn what herbs to take for your health and how long you should take them which herbs you can grow in your garden, how the temperature of what you eat and drink can affect your gut, the differences in hormonal cycles in men and women and what that means for your health, and how microdosing helped Nicole stay sober. Before we jump into this podcast, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Athletic Greens. I started taking Athletic Greens about a month ago when Lauren brought me from the Skinny Confidential a bag and I started taking it one scoop in the morning before every training session, training my clients, and I just started to feel so much better. If you don't know, I suffer from acid reflux or GERD where the bottom sphincter of the esophagus doesn't close, so acid shoots up into the esophagus, and it is so important to add foods that are alkaline into my diet. So staying away from very high acidic foods and adding a really good quality green powder, which is why I love Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is a small micro habit with a big benefit. It's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. It's cheaper than getting all the different supplements you need. It's a all-in-one nutrition insurance policy. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and one cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look for out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash bodiesbybrent. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash bodiesbybrent to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, y'all, let's jump into this episode. Dr. Nicole. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Why, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Yeah. I saw your Instagram. It's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> You're killing it. Thank you. you it's a huge so compliment. Much, yeah, you put so much effort into it. Do you have a TikTok too? No. I, I, I was like, why doesn't she mm, have this stuff on TikTok? I, I was know. trying to find you on TikTok. I know. I got so comfortable with Instagram and I was like, ah, oh, TikTok will come later. Just, it, just, happen. just even if you just pay someone like 20 bucks a week and just shovel everything over. That's exactly. You, you would blow up on oh that. Oh my gosh. I have it all saved because I know someday, and you're exactly right to pay someone yeah. just to take the baton and run. Yeah. So. Awesome. Well, I wanted to get into your story mm. with why you started herb farming, yeah. how you got into it. 
I know your parents were farmers. They were. Or so, are. Yeah. They, they are. still are. Still are. <laughs> they are still trucking. Where are they farmers? They're up in Northeast Ohio, actually, kind of right on Erie Lake. Cool. And what do they farm? They, I grew up uh, primarily, they were uh, commercially farming strawberries. So okay. big fruit farmers. So that's kind of in my blood. And, you know, fourth generation farmer and wow. just watching my grandparents farm, watching my parents farm and it just being a huge integral part to our day to day life. And then both my parents as well have outside careers. So it was kind of farming was a side hustle, but still like a main part of kind of life. And then what brought you to Austin and you decided I need Ooh. to buy some land and Oh my gosh. Well, we ended up uh, graduating from Ohio University. I was going for clinical psychology and okay. uh, graduated just as the recession had hit. So I was like, ooh, got to get out of Ohio. So kind of threw a dart at the map and my husband and I were like, okay, looks like Austin's booming. I mean, it, it, the dart landed in East Texas, but we kind of shuffled over a little bit Yeah, yeah, yeah. and ended up in Austin. And How then, long ago was that? Gosh, 12 years now. Okay. Yeah. And how long have you had the farm? Geez, I've been working on the property in some capacity. I originally started as a farm manager yeah. um, on that land uh, with the owners, and uh, that was, geez, 10 years ago now. So I've been on that land in some capacity for 10. And then officially with Urban Austin, I started that whole deal back in 2016. And then you went into Chinese medicine here in ah, Austin? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh, started my herb journey back in Ohio up in uh, Appalachia working with a lot of uh, traditional healers mm -hmm. and kind of learning from them under mentorships and apprenticeships. And cool. then I wanted to pursue something where I could actually gain a degree, some have, you know, you know, cause imposter syndrome, I'm like I need to have certifications and I need to have some credibility. Especially when you're first starting out. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. it's unregulated herbalism in the States. Okay. So to have some legitimacy, I was like, I need to get a degree. Yeah. So Chinese medicine actually presented itself as one of the avenues or pathways that I could go to get, you know, like a master's degree, a first professional degree. And so I ended up on that route as soon as we landed in Austin, went to AOMA here and learned about acupuncture and that became a part of my life and mostly Chinese herbs was my focus. And here I am today. What about herbs? Ooh. Um, so it was interesting. We always kind of had more of a natural remedy, like more of a natural remedy base growing up. And my mom was always heavily into, you know, pick things from the garden to work wow. with, you know, if there's first aid issues or things like that. So it was kind of already ingrained. Uh, what was some things she would have you do or take? Do you remember growing oh, up? Oh yeah, definitely. My parents are always on like ginkgo for like brain function. We would always have a lot of like thyme and ginger and things for colds, like really simple, easy remedies. Yeah. Yeah. That's super awesome. Definitely. And then you returned to the Appalachian, didn't you? I did. And that's kind of like sparked even more desire to be an herbalist. Can you definitely, tell me about that? Definitely. So uh, while I was actually working on my degree down here, I um, was burning the candle at both ends and I ran into a full blown like mental breakdown. Wow. So uh, upon graduation, I pretty much packed up my stuff. My husband and I ended up getting a divorce because of it all. And I schlepped up to the Appalachian Trail and hiked uh, you know, for a couple months just to clear my brain, reset everything. Yeah. I started my sober journey there as well. Yeah. Well, why that trail? Oh, it's always called out to me, uh, mm -hmm. you know, visiting there as a kid. And then there's something about, especially the Smoky Mountains where it's like, that is like soul connection yeah. right there. And so that seemed like the most like logical pilgrimage, something I could just hop on the trail and, you know, sell all my things and just take off for a while. How long were you gone for? Oh gosh. Um, 
I guess it was for just a couple months because I ended up blowing out my meniscus. Oh, wow. I blew out my knees ultimately because I was not efficient in hiking long term. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up just uh, having to kind of cut it short. So okay. I was able to go up to about Harper's Ferry, that area, and then had to kind of head head back home to recuperate for a while. And then what happened when you returned home? Definitely. That's when life really was put into perspective and I gained appreciation for um, just what it really meant to be connected to the earth what my life path was, what I, you know, because I was scattered. I didn't know which end was up at that point. So it was through that experience that I realized, oh, I'm meant to be a healer and I'm meant to, you know, utilize these natural remedies and work with the earth to fully help people live uh, a transformed life. And so that's kind of the crux of the transformational medicine practices that I carry and operate in today. That's beautiful. Thank so you. what's the process? When people come to see you, what's mm -hmm. kind of the process they go through? Oh, definitely. So typically we'll go through and uh, chat for a while because my goal in talking with them is to really, you know, not only hear the words that they're speaking, but to see exactly what the root cause of the issue may be, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's hormonal imbalance, um, you know, gut health, any issues there. Um, are those you know, two usually the two most common things you see? They are. They are. And yeah. a lot of mental health, especially in the wake of, you know, pandemic oh, yeah. 2020 all that good stuff have you seen quite an influx huge really? absolutely huge i actually had stepped away uh, uh prior to kind of working with this particular patient population i was working um with a va affiliate clinic before the pandemic oh. working with a lot of veterans wow. dealing a lot with ptsd and a lot of mental health issues in that sense and then i was furloughed obviously with the pandemic so yeah. i stepped away from practice and focused on or focused on the farm a bit more yeah um and then it was recently that I was like seeing just unbelievable amounts just with my herb clients, you know, people who were buying herbs from the farm, really struggling with, you know, mental health, with stress mismanagement, with um, just a lot of like secondary issues that were popping up. And so I was like, you know what, I should get back into practice. And so cool. I dove right back in. Well, so what are some of the basic principles you like to teach people that are dealing with mental health or anxiety mm. or stress, mm -hmm. you know, what are, what are recommendations you give? Definitely. Well, I, it's interesting because Chinese medicine in particular has a wonderful way of viewing mental health to where a lot of the symptoms that may pop up like anxiety, you know, depressive type symptoms, um, you know, burnout, things like that. Those are actually symptoms to a greater problem that's within. Okay. So, I usually will encourage people to kind of really feel into whatever they're experiencing. If it's anxiety, uh, you know, I, I challenge them to really be like, okay, let's look and see like, where's that manifesting in your body? Are you feeling it more heart centered? Is it in your head? Is it manifesting in your gut or in your reproductive organs? Yeah. Um, and so kind of looking at it and really kind of piecing it out and identifying it, breathing into it and then, you know, making subtle changes and just helping them to facilitate that mind body connection so that they can not only address the issue and, you know, hopefully rem remedy the issue in the moment, but then feel empowered moving forward to identify whatever comes up through life from that point on. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that a lot of gut issues are linked to anxiety? Oh, or, yeah. Definitely. And why is that? It's interesting. I mean, there's like the Eastern perspective and the Western perspective. Yeah. Um, and we know that a lot of serotonin is kind of, you know, produced and rooted in the gut. So if things are off kilter there, a lot of times our neurotransmitter balances are just thrown way off kilter. Wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's, we have an, like an understanding of it. A lot of folks will be like, you know, I'm having issues with nervous gut or every time, 
I'm in a fight with my my significant other. I end up like, you know, with nausea or, you know, bloating or whatever. Yeah. So there's definitely like a cause and effect that we see. And then a lot of times um, it's interesting. I'm seeing it a lot more to where folks may not have the exact tools to manage a lot of stress and a lot of pain or anxiety issues. And so often it'll get shoved down and shoved oh. down. And so the brain... It does this really wonderful thing where it's like, oh, well, I don't want to have to deal with all these, you know, this flurry of symptoms that are in in the gut or in the body. So I'm going to distract the body with pain. And so that's where we see a lot of um, like phantom joint pain. That's where we see a lot of gut stuff pop up. Mm. Uh, sometimes we'll see a lot of like low back pain kind of result from that. So it's super can, interesting. Oh, it's fascinating. So it's like chicken and the egg. It's like it might start in the gut, might start in the head, or it's like, where did it actually start? Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of linked Exactly. And there's not actually a starting place. That's exactly it. So Definitely. what's your best, you know, advice for someone wanting to keep a healthy gut, given that it is a gut issue? Mm, mm. You know, it's interesting because there's so much. Um, I think a lot of it will stem from awareness, just kind of being like, OK, how is this manifesting for me in particular? Am I getting acid reflux? Mm. Am I dealing with, um, you know, like bloating, nausea, lack of appetite, just paying attention to those symptoms and then. Really, I, it's so annoying, but I encourage everybody to go through and journal as much as they can or just okay. write down little notes to be like, start identifying patterns. So if you notice every time I have acid reflux, it's after, you know, a stressful work day or, yeah. you know, it's after my kids are, you know, throwing spaghetti at the wall. I don't know. <laughs> be, be curious. Be curious. Yeah. That's exactly it. Exactly. What, what, what can cause bloating? I know oh. a lot of my clients can suffer from bloating. Um, just the other day, two of them were having conversations. They were saying that they were drinking too much water. Ah. I was like, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> so oh, I'm going to ask you. <laughs> yes. So it's interesting. I mean, I hear a lot of folks say, oh, yeah, I'm drinking too much water. My stomach bloats up. And I was like, well, what's the temperature of the water you're drinking? Oh, and so, that's important in Chinese medicine, right? It really temperature is. Of things, yeah. It really is. So you definitely want to try to avoid any like seriously cold drinks. Mm. A lot of times we believe that that extinguishes the fire in the gut. And so that kind of throws things off kilter to okay. where and all of a sudden you're experiencing bloating and flatulence and all kinds of stuff there. Is, so is warmer water or lukewarm mm -hmm. is better? Lukewarm is ideal, definitely. Most of the time. Yep, most of the time. Okay, when not cold ever or? I always say not cold ever. And it's so okay, funny because cool. I yeah, just saw enough. even on like KXAN on the news, they were like, if you want to boost your metabolism, drink an ice cold water. And I was like, no, <laughs> <Don't do laughs> that it. has the opposite effect. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> definitely. And okay. then also like cold, uh, cold foods in the sense of having like raw you know, raw smoothies, raw fruits, raw vegetables. Mm -hmm. That's a very difficult thing for our bodies just naturally to kind of break down. So it's more stress on the system that often can lead to bloating too, which... I notice that a lot. It's like people will switch to vegetarian or vegan mm -hmm. and then they'll get a lot of bloating and then mm -hmm. they'll have to go back. And do you think it's because it's too much raw? Yeah, yeah. So cooked fruits and vegetables. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be cooked to hell. I mean, you can kind of saute it lightly, steam it lightly, just add some level of heat that helps to break down the cell walls, you know, the chemical compounds so that okay. they're more easily uh, digestible. Even with fruit. Yeah, even with fruit. What do you, how do you, so how do you cook your fruit? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how to, 
How do I cook fruit? You know, it can be as easy as uh, oftentimes I'll have like a piping bowl of uh, you know hot oatmeal, and okay. then I'll throw some oh. berries in there. So kind of it's having kind of cooking it exactly. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Got yeah. it. So it's just kind of getting creative there. Pro move. <laughs> yeah. No. No. Did you add anything to your food to help with digestion? Is there like any herbs or herb blends you like to recommend, yes. or even just tea blends that uh, come from you? That's a great question. Um, you know, I use a lot of aromatic herbs naturally. What does that mean? Oh, aromatic herbs. So any herb that you have, I mean, we're talking cilantro, we're talking like scallions, cool. thyme, you know, whatever. A lot of times those have a way of, um, the car- car- carminatives where they'll go through and help to mitigate any kind of, you know, bubbly guts, any kind of flatulence, things like that. Oh, and interesting. Just, yeah. So they kind of aid the gut in going through and processing. And have those cooked slightly. Yeah. Or well, you can toss them on top of hot meal and it has the same effect. That's super great. Yeah. Okay. And then now moving to women's hormonal health. Why did you become so passionate with that? You were obviously seeing it a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell Mm -hmm. me about that. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, it definitely self-experience, you know, experience. For sure. You know, having things. Where uh, did you yourself come from? Did you uh, help yourself quite a bit with herbs? Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Tell me about that. I always had a lot of thyroid issues, always had a lot of hormonal imbalances, um, and it would result in horrible, like chronic acne, mood swings out the wazoo, you know, you name it, I was probably going through it. And it was just, it got to the point where I was like, I've got to figure out what is going on. And so it was through that journey and really kind of investigating different herbs that can be utilized to help correct and heal hormones that I was able to really kind of fine tune a path. And actually adopting um, what I call kind of cycle awareness and realizing that while much of the research and much of what's being promoted throughout kind of modern, I guess, you know, conventional medicine and conventional nutrition is like kind of more operating on a male hormonal system, which is more 24 hours, whereas females or, you know, people with periods just to kind of broad stroke, they typically operate on more of a 30 day, you know, 28 to 30 day Mm -hmm. cycle. And so it was going through and aligning my, you know, nutrition, my herbal regimen, my daily activities, my work activities to those PowerPoints, you know, from the menstrual phase to follicular to ovulation Mm -hmm. to luteal phase and really fine tuning it for that particular phase, playing on my strengths and kind of, you know, addressing the weaknesses that pop up in those particular phases. That's cool. So would you say that Women not following nutrition and herbs and all this with their phases is one of the main reasons they get a lot of funky blood work, yeah. like thyroid and hormone and all that. Absolutely. It's it's fascinating because it's... I never thought about that before. It makes a ton oh, of sense. Oh, and absolutely. I saw it on your Instagram and I was like, I never even thought about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely not commonplace. And there's a little bit more of a voice popping up and a little bit more of an educated, education movement that's occurring yeah. to where, you know, all of a sudden... Women are awakening to the fact that, oh, wait, you know, there's this male model that's always been presented. And we see it a lot in, you know, like the keto diets. We see it a lot in intermittent fasting. Those studies are particularly done on male systems. And so it's promoted as good for everybody. But in actuality, it's detrimental to feminine, you know. uh, Tell me why that is. Definitely. It's it's what I've seen, too. It seems, especially as women also age, Mm -hmm. anything that causes a lot of cortisol or challenge on the system is not 
healthy, mm -hmm. even if it comes down to exercise. Super high intensity exercises mm -hmm. is not good for the female hormone balance. You're exactly right. Yeah. So exactly tell me. Right. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. That's it exactly. Anything that's going to stress out the body to where it's producing more cortisol or the stress hormone. And that's what happens in keto and fasting. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The body's working extra hard just to process these fats. You know, women naturally have more of a fat storage capacity. And so it's kind of like the body's processing those fats and storing them differently, mm -hmm. which is really throwing, uh, you know, metabolism off kilter long term, sometimes even to where it is damaging the hormonal cycle and, you know, the release or levels of certain hormones, uh, particularly estrogen and like the progesterone balance. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. So what would you want women to know that they can implement now to kind of balance out things they can do within their cycle at different phases. Oh yeah. What are some tips for each phase that they can kind of add in? Beautiful. Definitely. You know, the easiest thing, uh, and typically what I have all my patients just start off with, particularly those that are experiencing like endometriosis, PCOS, any hormonal disruption is something as easy as what's called seed cycling. Okay. And with seed cycling, it tailors, it's the regimen to each phase to where with menstrual, you know, with the menstrual phase, which typically can last up to seven days, mm -hmm. It's a recommended just to take a spoonful or a tablespoonful of pumpkin seeds, you know, through the menstrual phase, starting at the day of bleed. And then after that phase is done, then kind of moving over into the follicular phase. And in that, we move to uh, into like more of a tablespoon of flax with every day. And why pumpkin seed? What is in pumpkin seed? Definitely. So pumpkin seed has a way of kind of balancing out progesterone and also estrogen levels. Super cool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it'll help to supplement because when you're menstruating, all of your hormones are, you know, depleted, like mm -hmm. everything kind of bottoms out. So that's where we get a lot of the negative effects of PMS. And, and, and it's just a table or just a yeah, spoonful. Just a simple spoonful. And this can be sprinkled on a and salad, it can be raw. cereals. This is okay. Yeah, raw. This is okay. Okay, raw. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, good right. question. <laughs> <laughs> I just got to make sure. I know people will want to know. Yes, definitely. And then, so, okay, so pumpkin seeds, now moving to flax seeds, and I mean, then why flax seeds? seeds? So, flax seeds are a great source of phytoestrogen. So, they're going to really help to provide more estrogens or kind of mimic that within the body, which resets the system to start building up reserves, you know, so it's going to get ready for ovulation and okay. ready for that depletion that's going to start occurring. Is that considered a dim? Is that what a dim is? Oh, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I have to look that up. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's found in what broccoli and yes. stuff helps convert Soy certain estrogens to better estrogens or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times, can... I don't know what I'm talking about. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a supplement I read. I want to say yes because it sounds right, but I yeah. don't want to okay. confirm. Flax seeds are tablespoon of flax seeds every day during the follicular phase. Cool. Uh, and typically follicular <laughs> phases will yeah. last anywhere from seven to 10 days. Cool. And then once you hit ovulation, that's when you kind of switch things up a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So you're going to stop all that and then you're going to focus more so on sunflower seeds. And those have higher nutrient contents that are going to kind of help to, you know, brush out and get rid of a lot of the excess estrogen that's built up in your system or kind of balance things out. And then also finishing up with sesame seeds. Wow. And sesame seeds, particularly black sesame seeds, are the best to work with. Okay. That's also going to help with testosterone levels. It's also going to help just to sweep excess estrogen out of your system. That's awesome. Mm. They can get this all from you, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You can go to any grocery store and get these. I know, but why not get it from a sustainable farm, right? Oh, yeah. So, unfortunately, I don't grow any of these. Oh, you don't grow them? No, That's I what should. I, meant. That's, I oh, wish. Dang, no. dang, dang. No. They probably but, take a lot of work, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. All those little seeds that take a yeah, ton of work. Definitely. And then what about people with Hashimoto's? Is there any specific things that you've seen help 
And I know everybody's oh, yeah. individual and you can't diagnose like in a general way, but mm-hmm. maybe there's some common things you see that help your patients. Definitely. Hashimoto's is really interesting because of the cycling kind of back and forth between hyperthyroidism and hypothyroidism. Okay. And so what I find is to strengthen the thyroid in of itself. And one herb that is actually gaining in popularity right now is ashwagandha. Okay. You know, I even saw it on the shelves at Walmart the other day. So I was like, okay, like here we go. Okay. But ashwagandha is interesting because it definitely boosts out T3 and T4 levels and evens everything to where it gently acts as an adaptogenic herb. So basically kind of building up reserves in the system, helping to mitigate negative stress responses and cortisol levels. But it's something that you can kind of take more long term. It doesn't have to be like a flash in the pan. But anyway, it kind of helps the thyroid to regulate and strengthen, which will balance things out. And I find when it's paired with turmeric or turmeric in particular. Like a powder or a... Yeah. I mean, any way that you can get, if you can incorporate it into meals, you know, a lot of Indian dishes or Middle Eastern dishes, Nice. you know, any way you can start to incorporate those things will really start to strengthen the thyroid. And that's just a general, cool. you know, it's hard to broad stroke because it's For everybody's sure, yeah. case is you know, has a unique. And I did want to ask, you know, a lot of people will, you know, they'll get a supplement and it's got a little bit in it or they'll take, you know, they'll buy a smoothie and they're like, oh, I got ashwagandha in it. Mm -hmm. You know, what's the appropriate amount of time you need to take a lot of herbs for them to actually be effective? Definitely. And dosing, I imagine, and quality matter quite a bit too. hundred percent. So just because you go to the store and see ashwagandha, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you know you're getting good ashwagandha? And how do you know you, how long you actually need to be taking herb? I imagine you need to talk to somebody like you, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but you can tell us now. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So it's interesting because I see a lot of patients who have been on a particular, like the same herbal regimen for years and they're like, yeah. it doesn't work for me, but I take it anyway. And I was like, no, why <laughs> yeah, <laughs> are you yeah. still no taking more. this? So basically um, I tell folks, you know, once you get started on an herbal regimen, you know, continue with that until you see your desired effects. And then you can either wean off or kind of stop. Okay. And again, you hit the nail on the head to where, you know, quality does absolutely matter. So how do people figure out something's good quality or not good quality? Oh, it's doing, it's a little bit of research or at least like speaking to experts in the field. Um, because of the fact that herbalism is unregulated in the States, we're seeing a lot of people just kind of pump out whatever. And yeah. so, yes, you know, you're getting some medicinal viability out of those herbs maybe, but you don't know how long, you know, how they were processed, how long they were on the shelf, if there's any, you know, chemical constituents or beneficial compounds still within those particular plant parts. So it sounds like just like your meat, just like your food, the more you can go directly to the source and develop a relationship with the person, mm-hmm. like going to you, you can see like, hey, look at my garden, look yeah. at everything. This is exactly what it is. Absolutely. That's going to be the best way to do it. Absolutely. And actually I would go so far as to say, you know, one thing that we promote with Urban Austin in particular is grow your own. Yeah. A lot of these herbs grow so well, like ashwagandha grows like gangbusters in Texas. Oh really? Oh my gosh. I could just start an ashwagandha farm and yeah. be in good shape. Oh, awesome. Yeah. My client asked, actually asked, what would be your top five herbs to grow at home that are easy? Oh my gosh, definitely. Ashwagandha would definitely be one of them. And this is assuming that folks are in, you know, you can grow ashwagandha up in Vermont and, you know, New England, but it grows really well in hot climates. Awesome. Good. So I'd say uh, ashwagandha is one of them. Holy basil is going to be another one, especially for stress responses. That helps a lot in the mental health department, working on that same kind of HPA access that um, ashwagandha is working on. So it has a way of turning a negative thought idea day 
you know, 180, turning everything right around. Wow. So it's really powerful. And these are, when you pick these, you turn them into teas. How do you kind of process yeah. them? Oh, absolutely. So we have a couple different avenues in which folks like to, you know, procure their herbs. Yeah, uh, we yeah. have fresh options. And then typically when we're going through and processing things within seasons, we'll go through and dry them for teas. Sometimes we'll do, you know, tinctures or, you know, chem, you know, chemical. Uh, Tinctures, alcohol. that's awesome. That's, yeah. that's really nice. Yeah, alcohol So could they bring, so they could bring their herbs to you? Ooh, I have not thought about <laughs> that. Kind of, <laughs> and they could, I mean, that'd be kind of cool. Definitely. Typically what I like to do instead of kind of offering that service is to educate folks and show them just like, how to do it, yeah. yeah, just how to do it. And, okay. you know, it's really not difficult. So cool. things that they can do with their own, you know, herbs that have been grown or if they are sourcing from a small grower, ideally. So there's multiple ways you can ingest the exactly. herbs. Awesome. Exactly. Okay. So ashwagandha. Holy basil. Th give me three Ooh, three more. more. Let's go. Yes. <laughs> you know, simple, simple herbs, like things that can be used in, you know, culinary, you know, culinary uses. I'd say probably lemongrass is another good one. Nice. Really good calming for the system. And then, you know, also milky oats. Milky oats is another good one. Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah, a vena sativa. And that's another nervine herb that helps to calm everything down and nourish the body. Ooh, fifth one. Gosh, how do I choose? <laughs> <laughs> Your I'd personal say, favorite. Oh, my personal. Ashwagandha is my personal favorite. But yeah. lemon balm is probably another good, easy herb. And all of these really grow well in Texas and kind of have extended seasons as well. So there's multiple uses that you can, you know, gain from them. I uh, love that. Yeah. I love that so much. Mm. And then you're a big microdose advocate. I am. Yes. Mm -hmm. Tell me why. Oof. Microdosing ultimately. Microdosing what? Ah, psilocybin. Okay. Yep. I'm um, psilocybin all the way or any type of, you know, natural, natural psychedelic or entheogenic medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, what does entheogenic mean? Oh, yeah. Entheogenic. So that is another way of just kind of honoring the lineage of that particular plant medicine. Okay. Typically, they have psychotropic properties. You know, this is everything from peyote to detura. Or... Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So entheogenic is kind of more so psychedelic. Okay, so it's like the lineage of psychedelic. Yeah, okay. yeah, just kind of honoring. Okay, so you're a big advocate for that. Big advocate, yeah. uh, specifically with psilocybin. Uh, it's, Where did your journey begin? Journey begin with yeah, that? so actually, I started in 2010, believe it or not. And wow, yeah, ahead of the curve. I know it was. I had no idea, and this was more so. It was a coworker, like back in my bartending days. Yeah, cool. But they were talking about you know not doing a heroic dose or a macro dose of psilocybin that they were just taking a little bit every day. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of diving down that rabbit hole and reading James Vodeman's book, uh, The Psychedelic Explorer's Guide, I believe. Oh, I recommended that to somebody yes. the other day. It's a great book. It's a great book. Yeah, that's it's it. Highly recommend that Definitely. book. Definitely. Especially if you, I feel like if you're going to journey into any of this stuff, be super educated. A hundred percent. Be super educated. Right. Because there's a lot of folks that, you know, microdosing and psilocybin because it is serotonogic, which means that it kind of ups your serotonin levels and it's an excitatory, mm -hmm. you know, plant medicine, it could potentially exacerbate symptoms of anxiety mm -hmm. if you have any heart stuff. So I tell everybody, you know, educate yourself as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Also, if possible, when possible, try to grow your own, source your medicine as much as you can, or at least, you know, from a trusted source, because you just never know what you're going to get. And mm -hmm. that could really upset the system. So it's just being careful there. But uh, so I started back in 2010. And it was really kind of, you know, willy-nilly dabbling, I would say. I wasn't really serious until probably within the last, geez, I'd say probably six, seven years now, where microdosing has been instrumental, particularly in my sober journey. Okay. I would say that beyond most anything has been a saving grace. 
<clears throat> Excuse me. That's beautiful. Yeah. What about it has really helped you through being so sober? Definitely. So it has had a way of reframing my internal relationship to what is needed and how I respond to things. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed too that it has really helped to mitigate depressive symptoms that I, you know, naturally I have cyclothmia or kind of a low grade bipolar disorder. Okay. And so it has helped kind of balance out those cycles. I wouldn't recommend it for everybody, but for me and my sure. own journey, I found that it has been instrumental. So it helps a lot with the depression side of things. Yeah. It's a, uh... I noticed that for me coming from Seattle in a place that was dark oh, and gray most yes. of the time, mm -hmm. uh, the, the weather was brutal up there and towards the end of my time there before coming here, it helped so much. Oh, my just like a little bit of bright sunshine in yes, your brain. Exactly. Which is basically serotonin, exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's, what's so great about it. It doesn't have this addicting quality to mm -hmm. it. You don't have this like, I need more. Yeah, that's exactly it. And it's beautiful because it helps to also help you to realize like, oh, I don't have to depend or, you know, with what is I'm considered not on, a, uh, you know, Xanax or. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Exactly. So it just adds that little bit of brightness, especially for folks that maybe uh, have hindered serotonin levels or don't get as much sun exposure, or, you know, maybe you're in trickier situations to where there's not a lot of joy being sparked within their life. For sure. Do you ever combine it with other tools or, you know, practices to get more out of it yes, for definitely. yourself personally? I do. So I like to implement, I found the greatest benefits off of what is referred to as the neurogenesis protocol or a statement stacking. Okay. So I like to utilize pretty much psilocybin in microdoses uh, alongside lion's mane and then also with niacin. So you get kind of a full body flush and mm -hmm. it tends to kind of push the medicine out to farther reaching nervous, you know, like nerves. Okay. So it's really helpful. I've worked with a lot of vets in who are experiencing like neuropathy, you know, a lot of nerve damage kind of in the limbs. Interesting. And so the psilocybin has a way of helping with that neurogenesis to where it's, you know, healing the nerves, creating more nerves and more neural connections. And the lion's mane is an oh, incredible mushroom. It's amazing. That's what I think it was Paul Stamens that calls it the second smartest mushroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you know much about it? Can you tell us a little bit yeah. about lion's mane? Oh, lion's mane is amazing. And this is another one I encourage folks to grow as much as possible because you can get it. I believe in Austin, we have Hi-Fi Myco is one of the great provider here in, in locally, but pretty much grows really easily. You can incorporate into like foodstuffs. You can extract it with uh, alcohol tincture or kind of doing a vegetable glycerin or, you know, just powder it however you like. Mm -hmm. Pretty much it has a wonderful way of also calming the nerves while also promoting that neurogenesis where it's re-facilitating or reconnecting neural connections, synapses, and kind of helping the brain, particularly after any traumas or any type of like heavy duty stress where the brain is kind of shutting down or maybe mm -hmm. has had uh, any type of concussive issues this has a way of really helping the body to bounce back and heal. Uh, so lion's mane is absolutely amazing. Is there a dose amount for lion's mane that's like a range people can take? Yes. And wouldn't you know, I can't remember that's what it okay. is. <laughs> so if typically if you're working with an extract, I want to say it's usually like two dropperfuls is what I give. If you're working with like host cool. defense or any type of tincture. But, I, re I remember yeah. I went to Central Market one day and they like 
they're they're mushroom crazy down there. Oh, I know. I they was like, I was so blown away. Cases? I was like, Man, you guys are rocking the mushrooms. I there. know. They really jumped on the bandwagon. Yeah. It thrills me. Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, they've got some funky stuff too, like the maitake and stuff that I normally can't find. So go Central Market. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> totally. And tell me a little bit about your farm, how it works. So you're on an acre of land. Yes. Yeah. So we're on an acre of land. Growing 70 plus different oh, yeah. species. Yes. You and yourself. Just me, myself and I. That's amazing. Yeah. And you're always taking volunteers. Yes. So anybody listening, if you want to go help and get some, you know, soil therapy, right? Oh, man. Soil therapy. And I'll send you with herbs, too. Definitely. Oh, yeah. I'll <laughs> Send come. you home. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Tell Definitely. me about your... Tell me about your beautiful acre. Absolutely. So um, so we are small scale comparatively. There's a lot a lot bigger herb farms out there that produce more. But for what we're working with, we have our mainstays like the ashwagandha and a lot of the herbs that have proven to do well. But we're always working with kind of regenerative practices and more of a sustainable model. So we do a lot of crop rotation. We're always cycling herbs out. Some herbs are going to be there for maybe just a season, whereas some herbs will be there for up to five years. Wow. So it's kind of, you know, navigating that space and making sure that we're allowing the plant to mature to full medicinal viability to where when we begin to harvest it, then we're able to, you know, produce a fantastic product for our clients. That's amazing. And you're about to open a therapy gardening area, right? I am. Tell me about that. Definitely. So it's been in the works for a long time. I'm so excited. What inspired you to want to start? And what is a therapy garden? Definitely. So it's going to be along the lines of more of like horticultural therapy, but then also implementing, you know, bodywork practices like acupuncture and things that are already within my wheelhouse, but opening up to other practitioners as well. Cool. But basically just having folks get out in nature because we've all been kind of cooped up maybe, you know, in front of a screen for far too long, which is changing a lot of our neurochemicals, a lot of our neurotransmitters. So really getting feet down in the ground you know, kind of having that foot to soil contact and earthing while also kind of maybe talking through some things that may be going on in life, exploring different herbs that may appeal to different folks, because each uh, within the therapy garden, there's sections according to body system. So like we have a mental health space or a brain health space, and then we have, you know, gut health garden, and then we have like chronic pain and, you know, respiratory stuff. So it's kind of allowing the individual or the client to go through and kind of navigate, you know, what exactly they need. And then there's also protection there as well. To so they're, where... so they're, so it's, yeah, so I'm maybe experiencing respiratory problems or mm-hmm. gut problems. And then I'm being put into the area where I'm growing herbs to help with that. Yeah. And then through that process, almost kind of therapeutically working through maybe thoughts or feelings. And that's exactly. And are you there? Is there multiple people in multiple areas or you're kind of guiding? One person at a time? Or? Absolutely. So at this point, it's a one-to-one client basis, just so Very it's more cool. of an intimate experience. Because I I do encourage folks that they want to open up about anything that's weighing heavily on their heart or in their mm-hmm. life, you know, to vocalize it and kind of work through it in that sense. It's a brilliant idea. Oh, thank you. I'm really, yeah. really, really excited about it. Yeah, I'm pumped too. Definitely. What are other workshops? I saw you have a bunch of different things going oh, yeah. on, like creating incense and yeah. smoke therapy. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Definitely. So all of the workshops are based around a lot of what we're producing on the farm. Cool. So upcoming, we actually on the Saturday have a wild winter weed workshop where folks are going to be helping or, you know, I'll be kind of guiding them and identifying just common weeds that are out and about so that they can confidently forage or start to incorporate those into their dietary regimen. And then we do three preparations so that they can actually kind of learn how to process these herbs and what to do and what's the best way to get the nutrient value out of them. Amazing. And then we do the smoke medicine workshop. And so folks, 
utilizing herbs from the farm. We'll go through and, you know, create incense blends and kind of learn the different tiers of, you know, aromatics and how smoke medicine can actually be more beneficial or as therapeutic, if not more than a lot of essential oils and, you know, just herbs that you ingest. It's another method of, that's so interesting. You know, I never thought about breathing in herbs as a, as a form of, you know, health or therapy. Definitely. If you think about it, it hits the mucosal membranes like right off the bat. Hmm. So you're getting that instant kind of uh, brain response as soon as that medicine hits, you know, hits those appropriate areas. So it's really effective. Do you have something that's your favorite you like to burn in your house or? Yeah, definitely. I have my favorite or kind of like our propriety, proprietary blend where it's uh, eucalyptus, pine, Ooh, nice. And then white sage that we grow on the farm as well. Wow. So it's nice. And then I mix it all up with a little rose water. So it kind of has a bit of a floral scent to it too. I love all that. It's nice. So if people want to find you, they want to work with you, they want to get herbs, mm-hmm. where do they do that? Oh, sure. We operate primarily off of Instagram, which is insane, but that's the way the world is right now. <laughs> For sure. So uh, Websites have died. Yes, that's exactly. We do have one of those. It's yeah. uh, urbanaustin.com. You can find everything there and that's where you can go to register for workshops or you know inquire if you want to. Uh, Shoot you a DM, DM if yeah, I want to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Awesome. And Instagram is going to be urban. That's H-E-R-B-A-N underscore Austin. And yeah, so we do a lot of work through there and do big announcements, all kinds of fun stuff. And then, you know, always shoot me an email. It's just hello at urbanaustin.com. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Nicole, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I that love was... talking with you. <laughs> I loved it too. Thank you. Thank you. Guys, thanks so much for tuning into this episode. And Dr. Nicole, thank you so much for being on this episode. I can't wait to come check out the farm. Guys, if you're in Austin or in the Texas area, please come check out her farm. What a fun episode. If you like this episode, please, please, please leave a five-star review as well as a written review. That helps grow this podcast so we continue to have more guests on and grow this thing so we can help you realize your best fitness and your best life. Thank you so much for being here, and I will see you, hear you, you'll listen to me, something like that, on the next one.